The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Get Paid, your one-stop shop for all things fantasy, gambling, and daily fantasy. We are proud partners of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. You can also find us on Podcast One. As usual, you were listening to Sean and Brad. Brad, what's going on, my man? What's up, brother? Good morning. Yeah, yes, yes, good morning. Uh, yeah, uh, not much. Um, you know, it's the, the Super Bowl's over. We're in that, like, that week after space where it's just kind of like... Well, crap, you know, we have like eight more months now until football shows up or seven or whatever it is. So. It's really depressing. It is depressing. It's it's like that, you know, if you if you celebrate Christmas, it's like Boxing Day. It's the day after Christmas. Like, what the hell do I do now? I guess I can play yeah. with my toys and, you know. So I've been, uh, Brad, I've been going back and looking into, yeah, you, know, you know, I break down stats because, you know, I work on the um, the Fantasy Football Almanac. Uh, yes, book sir. that's released so I, I have to start that now so I'm kind of breaking through and going through all the 2018 numbers um, and as I'm doing that I'm kind of going through and looking at all of the uh, our performance over the over 2018 which we completely just beat the crap um, out of out of the uh, the against the spread stuff we beat the crap nice. out of Vegas last year which is good for me you know my stats going back I know we just did our thing this year but I've been going back um, with kind of my methodology and I've been over 60 percent I think th- three out of four or four to five years in my down year I think I was at like 52 percent so I haven't had a bad year um, in like five or six years since I've been doing the, the analytics plus the, the eyeball stuff. So I feel pretty good about that, man. And you really kicked ass this year too. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a really fun year, man. We did great. And, uh, looking forward to next year when we collaborate our picks. I know. And, and kill it. to that end, you know, I think we're, you know, we, we talked and Brad, we, we've been texting a little bit. Um, and I'm not sure you caught this cause you didn't react to it. You probably, you're probably living that playboy lifestyle in Miami when I sent this out. Or just always, uh, yeah, three sheets to the wind. But if we had played in, I'm not going to name the uh, the, the big contest by name because because I'm, I'm working on some stuff in Vegas. I'm working on some stuff for the show. I'm trying to get some more, um, you know, I'm trying to get like a location, um, a location specific and in sponsorship for uh, for the podcast next year. So I'm not going to name names. But one of the big uh, against the spread season long betting contests that they have in Vegas, if we had entered it and we had entered our collaborated picks, Brad, we would have, we would have won $53,000. No, unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, long story short, I think we're going to be doing that next year. Um, Absolutely. in addition to, to this and, you know, we might be pushing an app out, um, you know, to, to push out some picks. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we're working on in the off season that we have a little bit more time to, to compile this stuff. But, um, that's enough of kind of, you know, our, our company roadmap. Uh, today, what we're going to be talking about, uh, Brad and I want to start doing uh, division reviews, which is to say, okay, well, let's take a look back at 2018, the divisions. You know, we, we certainly did our previews uh, going into the season. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a, an honest look about what kind of we thought would happen and uh, and see where we where we missed, where we hit. Um, and maybe some of the big questions uh, that come up, whatever comes up in the conversation there. And then also, uh, we're going to be, we're, we're into the major league stuff, you know. Um, so if you're a baseball fan, you can stay on the podcast. Uh, if you are a baseball fan exclusively, you can kind of look down in the show notes and, and, and scroll forward. But we're going to have Baseball Llama on, who we did the, uh, the Fantasy Baseball Almanac this year, um, the Fantasy Baseball Prep. 
we're going to be doing the, the divisional previews uh, this year. So I think we're starting today with the American League East. And Brad and I, we're going to be doing the review of the NFL AFC East. Um, uh, but before we get into that, Brad, did you see that the Browns uh, signed Kareem Hunt yesterday? Well, I did. I did see that, man. <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, I don't know. And, and sorry, everybody. I, I, I keep forgetting. We release this on Wednesday, but we record on Monday or Tuesday. Um, today we're recording on Tuesday. So it, it's actually a little bit older. So for the people listening on Wednesday, the, the, the Browns signed Kareem Hunt two days ago. What do I think about it? I, I don't love it, man. I can tell you from a fantasy football point of view, it really kind of annoys me because I, in my fantasy league, I bought early on Chubb, Nick Chubb out there in, in Cleveland. And I thought, because I watched a lot of Browns this year, just because I watched a lot of hard knocks, um, because it was very interesting this season. It was actually kind of funny, um, the, the the kind of the drama in there. Not funny if you're a Browns fan, for, but for everybody else. Um, I liked Chubb, man. I thought he's a dynamic running back. I thought that in terms of talent, he might be even be a, a top five running back in the league. He certainly has that ability to get there. To to pair him up with a um, with Kareem Hunt, um, from a fantasy point of view, it drives me crazy because now you have a handcuff situation and a potential star situation before the signing. So it really just murks that situation up. You know, what are we going to do from daily fantasy? What are we going to do from a draft? We have to really monitor. Um, you know, the, the, the buzz coming out of Cleveland, we have to monitor the preseason games and react to it. But from a Browns point of view, I think it's a nice signing. Um, I, I think he's a dirtbag off the field. So let's, you know, disassociate ourselves with that. I think Brad, you and I both agree. I mean, you condemn the actions. He's, he's a turd for doing what he did. I mean, right. Right. Um, but this is kind of a football and analytical analysis show. So I'm just trying to focus on what this means for the Browns. I think, you know, they're probably going to look a little bit like um, I'm trying to think of a backfield, maybe like the, the Saints backfield or, mm-hmm. you know, the, this two option. I think Chubb is going to be the behind the tackles guy. Um, oh, you know, a good example would have been Tennessee from last year. Had they had Henry and they had uh, Deion Lewis. I think that'll be a perfect representation of what the Browns are going to do next year. They'll have a behind-the-tackles guy. They'll have a first and second down guy. And then they basically upgraded um, your third down back from uh, Duke Johnson into Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt can also carry the load if needed, so they have a lot more depth there. And they can throw some two-back looks out out there, and you don't really know what you're going to get. But what do you think, man, of this signing? Uh, well, <clears throat> from a football standpoint, I think it makes sense. He's a great player, you yeah. know. But that's it, to me, that's not really the issue. The issue is whether he deserves to play. And uh, I guess, I guess he deserves to play if somebody's willing to sign him, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean you always get into this. You remember, <clears throat> so Brad, you and I worked together um, when the whole Michael Vick dog stuff mm-hmm, happened. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember our boss. Uh, we worked for um, uh, a lovely young lady named Carrie. And she was, she, you know, she's a dog lover, and she came out. And she's like, My, you know, Michael Vick, I can't believe it. He should never be allowed to play football again, and all this stuff. And um, and not to, not to, you know, disagree with its sentiment. I, you know, I think he's a dirtbag. But the way I look at those situations is, you know, we kind of do live in a free country here, and. You know, we live in a, you do your, you do your time, you can kind of do whatever. And I also look at it as like, look, you know, so if he's not allowed to work for the NFL, what is he allowed to work for? Yeah, is he allowed right, to be a right. janitor? Is he allowed right. to, like, what, what do we limit, you know, ex-convicts in this country? You can't really yeah, do that. Yeah, where do you draw the line? You can't do that, yeah. right? So, I mean, does he deserve to play? Look, he's an ass bag. Um, you know, I think everybody would agree with that. Does he deserve to play? I guess maybe in the kumbaya, you know, world, you know, where... 
I guess you can draw these fictitious lines. I guess not. You know, does he deserve to make hundreds of thousands? I think this is only a hundreds of thousands contract. I didn't really actually see what the final number was. Does he deserve to play? Uh, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I guess not. But at the same time, what are you going to do? I mean, you you can't. You know, once he once he commit a crime, and he's not going to do any jail time for this. Um, right. So if you're talented enough, and you and you have the skills, and uh, there's a need, then uh, and you're not in jail, so who's to say he's not allowed? Right. And then the, the, there's also a collective and bargaining agreement, and the players' association have put rules into place that say the NFL can only suspend people for so long, and Goodell will try to do whatever he's going to do, like with Tom Brady, for example, and Deflategate. You know, yeah, yeah. Where you get into trouble, I think philosophically, is if you're the NFL, you end up suspending people longer for drug abuse or, um, you know, these kind of deflate gate situations. You end up suspending players longer for these kinds of things than you do for really ugly domestic violence. Yeah, right. And you know what? The one thing that everyone can agree on, I think, is that they've they've always managed to get it wrong with all these disciplinary uh, actions. They for some reason it's like they. They, just like you said, they penalize too much on things that shouldn't be and other stuff they leave, uh, they give too much grace and it's really wild. They just can't seem to get it right and they, they do most things right. It's it's almost uh, it's yeah, really yeah. incredible. You get Josh Gordon and uh, Le'Veon Bell passing the Ducci, right? And then they uh, they, get, they get suspended for a year or two, um, you know, once they progress through the suspension, you know, tier levels yeah. or whatever. And then you get like a really nasty video, like a Ray Rice, where Ray Rice's career ended because of that. Um, but right. That that his career ended specifically because he was an older running back, though. You know. Yes, right. He was he was past his prime. So if there was a spot for him, I'm, and he was able to work, I'm pretty sure he'd been been signed somewhere. Yeah, if he was and a 23 year old. Yeah, wasn't he picked up somewhere for a brief moment? Uh, or am I mistaken? I don't. I honestly, I don't recall. I don't think he was. But I don't know. I don't know that for sure. I thought sure. maybe there was a chance he was brought back briefly, and, it, and he just really wasn't good enough, like you said. So Yeah. The thing is, it's, it's the Colin Kaepernick argument, right? It's like, can Colin Kaepernick go out and um, you know t- take a knee for the flag? Yeah, you can do that. Um, but when you weigh the off-the-field stuff, the PR stuff, yeah, right. against you know what he brings you on the field, basically Colin Kaepernick was a limited quarterback who – in my mind is much like a Josh Allen or like a Lamar Jackson this last year is like, he can, he can get you first downs. Look, he made it to a super bowl. Um, so he has some talent there, but he's not a, a prototypical drop back, you know, slice mm-hmm. you up quarterback. Not that we have a lot of those, but when you're an NFL head coach and then you're dealing with ownership and all that stuff and you're saying, look, you know, we can bring Kaepernick in as a backup quarterback, but we might end up losing millions of dollars of sponsorship or corporate booths. You know, once you start weighing that from a business perspective, you know, things get a little weird. Cleveland, you know, I think it's a kind of a, a ballsy move for them to come out and do this when they didn't really need to make the move. Um, I don't I don't love it, but from a football perspective, I guess it makes sense. You know? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for them from a football perspective. Yeah. And uh, obviously they don't care about dramas and, and things of that nature. I think they just want to improve, which they're, they're definitely doing. Yeah, yeah, and they are. And that, that, that's a team that can make some noise when we kind of go through the uh, the or the or AFC North review. I think we'll talk because we kind of, when we were talking last week about like 2019, what teams could come up, 
I think both you and I were kind of like, hmm, you know, the Browns are the Browns are interesting. The Browns are interesting this year. But uh, yeah, even more interesting now. Yep. Yeah. True. True that. Um, all right. So let's move it to the uh, AFC East review. Um, so let's just start with the Patriots, the Super Bowl winners. Uh, look, you know, when we came into the season, when we, Brad, when we came into the season, we all said, "Oh, uh, this isn't going to be a competitive division, right? It's going right. to be. It's going to be the uh, the Patriots are going to win the division again. Um, certainly that happens, and the Patriots didn't really even. I think they are so far ahead of their division competition that they don't really even pay attention to the regular season anymore. I think they can just kind of sleep through an 11 and five, which is what we got. Yeah, pretty much, man. And and you're right. I mean, they have, it it seems like twice a year, they get the doors blown off of them at least once, sometimes twice by an opponent that should absolutely not do it. And I think Belichick, I mean, honestly, I think Belichick kind of like knows when they're having a sloppy week at practice. I think he knows like, I'm going to let them get their asses kicked this week. And then we're going to use that as fuel for the, for the playoffs. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, you always learn more in failure than you ever could in success. So maybe he just will like, you know, it's week 14 and they're, they're full of themselves and they practice like crap and they're sloppy and it just lets them get spanked. Hey buddy, you're going a little staticky right now. Oh, okay. Little static, little static for our listeners. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're good now. Um, the, yeah, the, uh, uh, the the page it's it's just so it's just so interesting because like you said they get their doors blown off of them um they they always lose a, a late season game to Miami right you know and and I this like this year it was Miami and it was also Tennessee yeah and, and I know they didn't get the doors blown off in Miami but they did lose that game and they should not lose that game right I don't care where they are playing and who they're playing especially Miami but uh yeah I mean he probably, he probably uses it he's that good. I swear. And, and and tactically, because he knows he's always going to be playing for January. Another thing I suspect is that some of these, because, you know, a lot of a lot of these uh, these playoff matchups, they'll go back and they'll look at every single tape, you know, every single game tape. And so these offensive and defensive coordinators, what they're doing is not only are they they planning and game planning for each game, but they're also setting their opponent, you know, their, their opposing um, defensive coordinators uh, in the future up for different plays. Like they're trying to give looks during the regular season so that they right. can give a similar look, but basically do something completely different in the playoffs when they need it. And a great example of that with the Patriots is, um, well, maybe this isn't a perfect apples to apples, but you remember when they played uh, the Ravens all those years ago in the playoffs and they were, they were losing. I think they were down two scores and they needed some, some positive momentum. And so Belichick then just started playing. Um, they did that weird formation thing where they left um, uh, that old running back. I can't, he's on, he's a, he's more recently a giant. I can't remember the guy's name, but they had the running back line up like he was going to be a split receiver and they never had him off the ball because the, he was effectively a lineman on that play. And then they ran some linemen out on a route, and they did some weird formation stuff, and the, the Ravens had no chance to stop it because they didn't prepare for it. And that's the kind of stuff the Patriots do. It's like they're not, they don't care necessarily. They feel like they're going to be able to win enough games to get in the playoffs. And then the yeah. playoffs, they'll, they'll hit you with like a new look. Belichick famously will just change his defensive game plan, his whole defensive system, like three or four times in the playoffs. You know, he'll do it yeah, every game. Right. He'll do and, whatever it takes. And um, and they do it every year, and they have enough, I guess, continuity on that team, right? I know, I know they'll they'll rotate through some other guys, but look, man, the Patriots get into the Super Bowl. It's it's what Brad and I predicted. Um, certainly, there wasn't going to be a challenger. Um, so I don't know. I'm looking ahead though. I'm looking at their uh, their free agents going into this off season, 
And they do have a lot of actually free agents. And this is what the Patriots do, right? They send these guys on one-year deals. And if these guys get big deals elsewhere, they're going to be able to, to, to stockpile compensatory picks for losing these guys. But um, So they have Guskowski, uh, Cordero Patterson, uh, or Cordero Patterson, if you prefer, Chris Hogan. So two of their kind of uh, lesser um, wide receivers of lesser interest. Danny Shelton, who flashed really well during the season. It's kind of like a nose tackle guy. Philip Dorsett. So they're losing three receivers, um, potentially. Uh, let's see, Malcolm Brown, a defensive tackle. Um yeah, they have some. They have a lot of free agents, and they're going to let those go, and then they're going to bring in like a crop of like twenty new guys, and they're going to kick ass. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the Dolphins. Let's move it over to them. Uh, it, it, going into the season, because I really respect what uh, coach. I think it's Adam Gase. It's Coach Gase. Um, I liked what he did. I think that. I think that the Dolphins have been failing him from a personnel point of view um, ever since he's been there. And I don't think he's had a great chance to succeed. And he's won a pretty decent amount of games. And he actually went to the playoffs um, with Ryan Tannehill as a starting quarterback. And, you know, the, the, the Dolphins kind of put up what I thought they would put up, which is to say, you know, they, they, you know, they, they were in the mix there for a wild card spot, but didn't really. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah, it, they were in that mix, but they didn't really ever give you the impression that they were going to get the wild card spot. And that's kind of what we thought would happen. Um, I thought maybe there was a scenario where they could get in there if Tannehill really played lights out. But, uh, you know, Brock Osweiler played for a big stretch, um, you know, due to some injury and everything. And, you know, um, again, we kind of got, I think, what we thought. I think the AFC East, honestly, is the easiest division to predict in football. Um, year yeah, it, it, you can pretty much tell it's going to play out. And then there's there's really no surprises. And I think maybe the Patriots, with their domination, kind of uh, lead that charge. They kind of keep that order. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at um, at the passing statistics here. And so as a team, uh, where are they? Where are they? Oh, there we go. Uh, as a team, they completed 64.2% of their passes, which is actually which is actually a pretty damn good. Um, yeah. And I think that goes to show you, I mean, this is why I like Gase. Um, but the, import, the, the unfortunate part is they had uh, only, and actually this isn't bad if it's like, you know, 2005. They had a two to one uh, touchdown to interception ratio, but they only threw for 26 touchdowns through 13 picks. Again, not awful. The running game, though, was, to me, was the weirdest thing. Like, you know, the, it seemed like they wanted to give Gore the bulk of the carries, but it always seemed to me like Kenyon Drake was the more dynamic of the running back talents there. Mm, and mm. I'm looking at the the carry differential here. So they only ran the ball. Let's see. Gore got 156 carries, 722 yards for 4.6 yards, uh, yards per attempt there. Uh, Drake got, let's see, 120 carries, 535 yards, four and a half yards per carry. So their their top line running backs are actually pretty consistent. They just could never really string it together for a full game. It's like they were either getting like 200 yards rushing or they were getting like, you know, a decent passing attack. Right. But, and, and I think that's what you get. And let's see, what did they turn out? <clears throat> seven and nine, right? Yeah. I guess that's what you get in a seven, nine, uh, seven and nine team. But I'm um, looking forward to their, uh, let me look at their, their free agents here pull that up. Uh, you know, they're going to be under a new coach, and I don't like that uh, Flores came over from New England because no uh, New England coach ever does well. Like, no Belichick disciple ever does yeah, well. Yeah, right, right. I don't care what. Doesn't mean it can't happen. happen once, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I'm looking. So Cameron Wake is a, is a free agent. His his cap year, uh, number last year was like $8.62 million, what he was getting. So that's probably a little bit overpaid for him, in my opinion. He's 37 years old now. Uh, so I don't think he'll be back. 
uh, Juwan James, William Hayes. Uh, they went on a spending spree on defense a couple years ago, and those guys are kind of coming out now. Uh, Frank Gore is, uh, is another free agent. Um, he'll be gone. So the, I think the cap, the cap number is going to be a little bit better for the Dolphins. So as we start doing our free agency stuff, maybe they'll they'll make a run. But the problem is they're going to be changing their defense, uh, their defensive makeup, because Flores is going to want to try to get that versatile New England Patriots-type scheme in there. Um, we saw what happened in Detroit this past year with Patricia taking over that team. It's going to be similar. They're probably going to want to draft like – you know, a, a, a three, four defensive end, maybe a nose tackle, maybe sign some guys. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the roster turnover. But um, yeah, I think what you see with the Dolphins is what you get. I think they're just going to be mired in mediocrity. And I think every team in this division, unfortunately, is going to be the same until uh, Mr. Brady and Mr. Belichick retire. Yeah, that's a good prediction. It does seem like Miami's been in this spot for about 20 years. It's purgatory. It is. It's purgatory. It's kind of gross, man. I <laughs> How do they get out of it? It's like if, if they don't know, Jesus. Yeah. But at least they've been the mediocre ones because the other two teams there, the Jets and the uh, what's Bills. the other one there, the, the Bandits. Yeah, the Bills. <laughs> the Bandits. <laughs> the Bandits have been the, those two teams have been worse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've been less than me, uh, mediocre. Yeah, they have been. There was they, the Bills made a run last year at the playoffs, and the, the Bills, I'll say, they have. Um, actually, let's just start talking about them since we're since we are talking about the Bills. Well, they had a nice defense for a little bit. I, I'm not sure how they held up last year. They 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 were they held up pretty well actually, but they the offense was so bad that I think people were overlooking the defense. The Bills were actually one of my more favorite defenses to kind of stream in fantasy football because mm-hmm. you can always count on low points and you can count on maybe like a couple sacks here or some turnovers there. That defense isn't exactly where they want to have it. Uh, Sean McDermott, though, I think is doing a great job with the defense. Now, the offense, I think, is sputtering because they had no quarterback. They had no quarterback. Yeah, the offense was so bad. I mean, just imagine how good the defense would have been if they had just a, a, an ounce of offense. So when we were doing the, the season preview, I remember this because we were <laughs> we were talking about it and we prepared for the Buffalo Bills, you know, both of us independently. And um, and we were talking about their quarterback. And I said A.J. McCarron was going to be their starting quarterback. And you came back and you said, no, no, no. Isn't it Nate Peterman? And I was mm-hmm. like, they still have Nate Peterman because he did like awful the year before. I was like, Terrible. Peterman, really, really? And um, and I said, look, you know, the Bills, look, they're coming off a playoff berth. They have a raw quarterback in Josh Allen who they just drafted. I was like, I, I just don't see any way that the Bills are going to go into the regular season with Josh Allen as their primary quarterback when they're coming off a playoff berth. And they have a good defense and they have a new offensive coordinator. And they, you know, they they acquired A.J. McCarron. And I thought, you know, they're going to roll with A.J. McCarron. Now, A.J. McCarron was looking okay Look, he wasn't looking good, guys. Let's let's be honest about this. He was looking okay in training camp, but then he hurt himself during preseason. Peterman came into those preseason games, actually looked pretty decent. He was probably doing better than A.J. McCarron was. And then the Bills got rid of McCarron, and they went with Peterman. And I remember, and I think we probably had it in early season podcasts, and like when you and I were talking, it was just like, stay away from Bills' offense. Mm. P- Peterman is not going to do anything. And sure enough, he didn't. And they they rolled the the team over to Josh Allen, and I also said then stay away from Buffalo Bills offensive players all year. Just stay away because they're not going to be able to move the ball. I don't care who the offensive coordinator is; they're not going to be able to move the ball. Right. And and I'm sorry, but that's what happened. Now the defense I think is pretty solid. Um, they have a nice scheme there, and I actually don't have a problem with the offensive uh, coordinator there. Um, you know that went into place. But the problem is when you ro- when you run into 
a raw quarterback like Josh Allen. And let me just kind of read you his stats there. His completion percentage. Why don't you give me a guess on what his completion percentage was before I read it out? Mm, 58. 52.8%. Okay. Ooh. His his touchdowns, 10 touchdowns, which frankly was more than I thought he would throw, and uh, and 12 interceptions. Now, look, he's a, he's a rookie, right? But the problem is we knew this coming in. Like, you can never... You can never fix accuracy issues from the pros into I'm sorry, from college into pros. Like he's he's a raw quarterback. And so what you ended up getting was basically kind of running maybe like a like an option type system. And Josh Allen was getting more yards, um, or I, I, he was more dynamic on the ground, similar to Lamar Jackson for the Ravens, who we'll talk about in a couple weeks here. Um Josh Allen, let me read you his rushing stats now, Brad. He was 89 attempts for 631 yards, eight mm. touchdowns, eight mm. um, for 7.1 yards per carry. By far, the uh, the most successful running back uh, there. But we talked about this with the Seattle Seahawks in 2017, Brad. When you're when your quarterback is your most dynamic running back, you're not going to win a lot of games. No, that's not the formula for success for sure. Yeah, and you're, you're you're leaving these guys susceptible to injuries. Josh Allen did miss a bit of time um, over the season, and I'm concerned because I've seen this with RG3 as a Redskins fan. You know, back in the day, um, not a Redskins fan anymore, as I say every time I, I bring them up. Um, you know, I, I watched this with RG3, and you leave yourself open to hits. You know, bad things are going to happen. And so, look, you know, Josh Allen over the course of the season, if you're like a Buffalo fan. Or maybe a, like a like a running quarterback apologist. Uh, he did produce 18 touchdowns in how many games? In 12 games. That's not bad. It's one and a half per game. Right. Um, let me see if if he fumbled. Do I have his fumble numbers here? Um, I'm sure I do, but I don't want to. Oh, here it is. Allen fumbled eight times. Eight. Wow. Now I don't know if that's lost fumble, but just putting the ball on the ground plus interceptions that is 20 for the season. That's not good. That's no, not good. That's terrible. So not a good stat. You know, and and that a part of that too is a young quarterback, right? You sit back in the pocket, you don't know who to throw to, so you hold on to the ball. Uh Josh Allen is a big arm guy, so he's probably always looking downfield and everything. But the passing yards, Brad, the passing yards, let me see those real quick. For the team. Actually, let me just give you uh, Allen's where are you? Two thousand yards in twelve games. That's like less than two hundred yards a game passing. Oh God. That's awful. In today's league, that's that's terrible you can't win games like that and no, so never. and so when i say this like i'm not trying to be a buffalo hater because i actually like the the franchise i hope they do well but when you have a quarterback that can't complete the ball <laughs> can't complete passes it's a big problem it's a it's a problem man and if you're trying to run the ball hey look look you know you're gonna do well and and they won some games like alan got feisty at the end of the year i'll, I'll say you know there's there's room for optimism there but what you want to see brad i think as a as a as a bills fan next year is you want to see 250 yards a game passing, and you want to see 58% completion percentage at a minimum next year, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to compete. Like, I don't I don't care how good your defense is, and the Bills had a great defense. If you don't, if you can't, you know, have him come out as a sophomore year and do well, then you're going to repeat the performance. And they were 6-10 and 10 last year, and frankly, I'm surprised they won six. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 I guess the silver lining here for Bills fans is they do have a weak division. I do think Miami and the, I think Miami takes a step back. I think the Jets actually take a little bit of a step forward. I think the Bills maybe cap out at seven wins next year, but we'll, we'll save that for the, for the preview. Let's talk a little Jets. Um, so let's see, they finished, uh, four and 12. They were a dumpster fire. 
Todd, do we have to keep talking about them? I'm tired of it already. <laughs> well, let's it's let's been three seconds. I'm this is it. your, but this is the cathartic experience. This is, this is your opportunity to get it all out, man. All right, all right. Let's get it all out. So, Todd Bowles, I liked him as a head coach uh, until last year. <laughs> Look, I, I said it. I've been beating this drum for a while. You, you're not going to win games defensive head coach and conservative offensive um, coordinator. doesn't work, mm. right? Mm. And so when they when they passed, I, I thought the Jets had a good enough defense that if they played McCown all year, that they could have potentially been a wild card threat, okay? Similar to how the Dolphins were a threat but didn't, okay, weren't really sure. a threat, but they could Rise have been in the mix. up to the level of mediocrity. I get it. So uh, here's how I here's how I would approach things if you're if you're a head coach or you're a general manager, right? You, you make the investment, you get um, you get the young guy in there for his, his name's escaping me. Let me look him up real quick. The, the rookie quarterback there. Um, Why can I think of his name? Sam Darnold. Yep. yep Sam Darnold. Yep. Okay, so you get the rookie in there. You know he's your future, right? But AJ Mc, or I'm sorry, Josh McCown last year was completed like 67% of his passes. Like even if they're dink and dunk, that gets you first downs. That gets you moving the ball down the field. You have a good defense. Uh, You have a good scheme. My thought is if you have a quarterback like that, why don't you see what you can string together if you can keep McCown healthy? Maybe you win, you know, six out of your first first Mm. 10 games. Maybe you Mm -hmm. weren't five. Maybe you go five and five and you have a, a puncher's chance at the playoff berth, right? And if your defense is as good as you think it is, Todd Bowles, then mm-hmm. if you go in with that quarterback, then um, then maybe you win. And then it, I, I always think there's a benefit, too, of people like Sam Darnold. Give him some time to acclimate. Get, you know, if there's a blowout game, put him in there and get the NFL speed. You know, give him some time, but you don't have to thrust him into the starter role in week one. You know? What is it about Todd Bowles that bothers me? Can you answer that? I don't know. Maybe he looks like an idiot. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, think, right? I think what it is. About his body language. I just can't stand the guy, and I, and I don't know what it is. Like I, I think it's the I think it's the Norv Turner effect, where they're a brilliant coordinator but an idiot head coach. Mm. And um, looks like an idiot. Wade Phillips is the same way for me. Like yeah, you know, I can see that if he's if he's running if he's running the team and you know he's he's <laughs> trying to get things in order. Like, um, he just looks like an idiot to me. So Todd Bowles, I mean, he kind of gives me that that Wade Phillips and the the North Turner kind of vibe of, look, he's going to be a great coordinator. And look, he's reuniting in, in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians. That could be an interesting team down there. We'll talk about them. We talk about the NFC South. But as a head coach, man, like, he he bungled his team up. And I'll say this, you know, and we'll talk about the NFC, I think, next week, the NFC East. Jay Gruden has this kind of, this kind of thing too. I think he's a good head coach, but he can never get the defensive coordinator right. And when you're a defensive coach and you think you can win every game three to two or three, or three to nothing, it's it just bad things happen. And so, you know, when you have that defensive coach and, you know, I, I know they got a new offensive coordinator in there last year. It didn't really work out so well for the Jets this past season. I don't know, man, you don't have a really big upside and I'm looking, let's see, let's see how Darnold actually did. Um, in terms of completion percentage and interceptions, all that. Let's see. Darnold was four and nine as a quarterback, as a starter, uh, two hundred thirty nine for four fourteen. So he was fifty seven percent on his completion percentage, which I think would be would have been lower than projected given his draft height. 
17 touchdowns to 15 interceptions, not good. Um, he, he, you know, number three in the pick in the draft should probably be doing better if he's thrust into that starting role. Now, McCown, I was just talking about him. He was 0-3 as a starting quarterback as well, 54%. So, you know, I guess that dispels a little bit of my argument there. Um, but, you know, it could have been part system too. Whatever the case was, like, I thought Todd Bowles was going to get another year after this. Um, but the rails just came off, um, mm. and uh, and they didn't have a chance. So, I don't know. I don't love what the yeah. GM is doing there either. He's he's a spender. He never seems to put money in there. And let me look at their free agency crop here. Who do they have going on free agency? McCown's gone, but I think he'll be back as a backup quarterback. It's like double dragons. Those two, Sam Darnold, yeah. and they have the same yeah, haircut. Right. Yeah, same dude. They look like Russian hipsters. I love it. <laughs> uh, Spencer Long, they're cutting ties with him. They don't have a lot. Of Jermaine Curse. They kind of, but this is really indicative indicative of the Jets' talent. Um, they just don't have a lot of high profile free agents, but they don't really have a lot of high profile players, at least on the offensive side of the ball. High profile anything really? I don't know what's going on. It's like minutia. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was rooting hard for the Redskins back in the day, uh, and Jerry Jones was really, really super, super, super hands on. Um, and he had turned that NFL dynasty into an eight and eight franchise. And he would always like trade his first round picks for like people like Joey Galloway and all that. I remember like just loving it because the, the Cowboys were eight and eight and there's nothing they could do. They couldn't get enough, an early enough draft pick, um, to do anything with. They weren't accumulating picks. So they weren't draft and they weren't drafting particularly well when they had draft picks and they were just eight and eight every year. And I loved it because they were never a threat to be in the playoffs, but they were never a threat to actually mm-hmm. rebuild either. And that's kind of where we're at with the bills with the, uh, with the dolphins now. And look, I like Gase. I like what the jets could potentially do. I'd, I, I think Gase has potential to do better in his second gig as a quarter or as a head coach, but he's got to be paired up with a good GM. I don't think the jets have that at the moment. Um, and, uh, Oh, you know what? Let me, they might have fired their GM. I could be wrong on that. So it, mm. if, if they did fire and replace, I apologize. I, I didn't uh, I didn't see if that was the case coming into the season. Uh, and I don't see that here. But um, I, I like Gase, but I didn't like what he did with the running game. Um, you know, it seemed like he was always giving more carries to Gore than I thought he should. Although, as we previously mentioned, both were well over four yards per carry. So you have that going for him. Let me look at, uh, since I got it up, I don't think I looked at the Bills. Uh, they're going to lose Kyle Williams, the mainstay. He's going to retire. Also, I mean, the Bills don't have a lot of super interesting talent either. So it's not like, you know, they're not going to go downward based on free agent losses, but they're not going to accumulate a lot of uh, compensatory picks. And You know, I start to wonder if that, you know, they don't get a lot of talent over there because, first of all, who wants to go live and play in Buffalo? And then maybe, you know, the, as the Jim Jets, Kelly, as Jim Kelly famously said, when Buffalo drafted him in the, <laughs> and yeah. he went to the USFL. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. He, he hated it that much. And then maybe it's like New York is the, the Jets are the lesser of the, the, the town's teams. They may be the least, least favorite. They're like the Mets compared to the Yankees almost. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. That might have something to do with it. Maybe not. I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, it's but it's the it's like what we said. What we keep going back to whenever we talk about like a preview or a review or whatever. It's it's Belichick and Brady. The combination of them, even like Brady is going to be like forty two or forty three years old. Who he looks great, by the way. Like yeah. I was thinking because when, when I was looking at uh, Brett Favre at the end of his career, um, like those those Vikings years, Brett Favre was younger than Tom Brady is now. Yeah, right. But Brett Favre because he had that gray hair, you know, um, he just looked a little bit older and his body was a little bit beat up. 
Brady. Uh, I will man. say this: that did that did work for Brett, though, in a different way. He was a different type of beautiful man. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah, as uh, we all saw on the internet with those uh, with those wonderful pictures of his uh, junk. <laughs> Good old, old Brett. Speaking about the Jets, that was the his old Jets gunslinger. Era. Always <laughs> slinging. Oh, he's slinging something. He's slinging something. You know, I always, I always thought that was interesting because really only his wife knows for sure, right? Because he can just deny that it's him, but his wife will know, right? Well, maybe his wife and uh, every guy that ever played with him from the locker room. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, Brett Favre. (laughs) Some old uh, headache medicine. (laughs) I would have took a peek every time. (laughs) <laughs> What's Brett got going on there? I bet it's magnificent. <laughs> Do you remember the old headache medicine? Do you remember no. what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Um, how uh, a coworker of ours, uh, this is a true story for everybody, a coworker of ours got a text message from his father. Oh, I can't remember he, this now. And he, and he opened up the text message, and it was a, uh, it was a picture of his father's member in his oh, hand. Oh, yeah. Who was that? Oh, I'm not gonna. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention who it was. I'll, I'll say that off the air. Uh, but then the, the 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 caption underneath it was like, you know, I th- I, I guess yeah, 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 yeah. I guess the guy's mom had a headache or something. He's like, oh, you want some headache medicine? <laughs> 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 and so Brett Favre is sending out uh, pictures of headache medicine. That's good. Uh, all right, well, I think we can call it there. We can. Uh, Brad, yeah, you got anything we'll just else? end it on that and not bury ourselves any deeper. Yep. All right. Yeah, I know. Right. There yeah. you go. Some levity. All right. And so, uh, so Brad, I, I guess we'll sign you off and bring on the baseball llama. Okay, brother. All right, man. Good talking. And we have my co-author from the Fantasy Baseball Almanac and Draft Guide, Baseball Llama, with us. Eric, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Sean. What's going on over there? Ah, not much, man. Just, uh, you know, I'm in Chicagoland, so everything's covered in ice. I actually looked outside my pergola um, you know, from the ice storm and everything, it was there were these little small strands. They're almost like like worms, like silkworms, all hanging down. It was really creepy, or like maybe like King Kong sneezed on it or something. Like snot was hanging out. It was wild. <laughs> but anyway, Jeez. let's get to the actual point of this thing. So, um, so we're gonna be uh, doing some division previews. We started the podcast with NFL division previews last year, um, and uh, you know a lot of people came in, um, and they were. You know they were worth uh, worth it from a gambling perspective if you like to play futures, and they were worth it from obviously a fantasy uh, perspective if you're looking for your draft and everything. So what Eric and I wanted to do is just start with the AL East um, and and take more of a, a look at the players and the fantasy um, uh, you know change. We're starting with the American League East because frankly we, we're still waiting on a lot of free agents to sign. Um, you know Harper's still out there, Machado's still out there as of the recording of this episode. I'm sure they'll be out there for a little while longer. So I don't think Machado or um, or Harper is going to sign with anybody in the American League East. You never know, but I figured it would be a safe um, safe division to at least start with. Give them give us a little bit more buffer. So with that said, Eric, um, you know I was looking at the uh, the gambling um, side of things. Uh, I was looking at uh, at the futures lines, and of course the Orioles are the uh, they're at plus eight thousand to win the division. So they're quite a long shot. And not only that, but to to win the American League or win the World Series, they are the worst team in terms of Vegas uh, predictions um, if you're looking at the lines in the futures. And I think that's for good reason, Eric. Would you agree? Oh uh, yeah, there's there's no question they're once again going to be the worst team in the major leagues. And 
yeah. I laugh because I mean they're they're my favorite team. They're my and um you know I root for them. Um, unlike the Redskins, who I who I never really kind of root for anymore, just because I I can't stand Dan Snyder. The Orioles haven't pissed me off to that degree, but you know I I don't love ownership there. I haven't for years and years. But man, this this organization is just a dumpster. It is. It seems like they've gotten a little bit of a wake up call uh, where it looks like his his, you know, his sons are are taking over a little bit more and and starting to put a little bit into the international market. So, oh, yeah. How do you how do how do you not put money into the international market? How do you do that in today's Uh, Major League Baseball? (laughs) Very old, stodgy owner. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that is not with the times. And I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Um, so let me ask you. I'm looking over the uh, the roster here, and I'm kind of pouring through the almanac, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm just not loving what I'm seeing <laughs> at all. I think you know we were chatting about this spot. We said we were gonna you know record this, and um, and you you'd made the comment that you think maybe one or two Orioles are uh, are worth it at this point, possibly a late round selection at best. Um, so uh, let me ask you from just from a pure fantasy perspective, you have you have Chris Davis. He's getting older. He's uh, I think going to be thirty three years old this league year. Um, I'm looking at his stats here: sixteen home runs last year. Obviously not great, um, but uh, it doesn't look like he played that many games either. So you know he strikes out a ton. What do you think about him? Oh God, no! Um, he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way I can say. He he had like a historically bad season last year, and it's just progressively been getting worse year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there's yeah, no, <laughs> plain and simple, just no. Um, there, yeah, he's not even hitting the 40, 50 home runs that made him worthwhile a couple years back. He's just because he can't hit the ball. So unless he hits some kind of major renaissance where he comes out of nowhere. Um, even then, it wouldn't be worth a draft. You know, you can pick him up if he starts hitting well, but I, I wouldn't put any stock into him whatsoever. I find um, Dylan Bundy interesting just because he has uh, two names from two, like, 90s iconic, early 90s iconic uh, <laughs> TV shows. You got Dylan, like Dylan McKay from uh, 90210, and you got Bundy as an Al Bundy. So that alone gives me gives me some uh, curiosity. But I know, um, look, you know, I know he comes with some hype or he came with some hype, I guess, you know, in the, in the previous years. He's a younger guy, but, you know, he couldn't string it together. Even if you're the best pitcher, if you're the best pitcher on a team that can't get you any wins, you know, things are things are tough. What do you think about him? I think he's, he's a talented young, um, you know, young pitcher he's he's a solid guy uh he seems to just have so many ups and downs which in my opinion i attribute more to the orioles philosophy they just seem to always have issues developing pitchers and then they kind of leave and turn into a jake do well you know we saw it with gosman looked a whole lot better in atlanta the second half of the year once he was traded and i think the same thing will happen to bundy i think if he has a decent first half he'll get traded mid-year and he'll start to steadily you know, look better and better. And then he'll probably break out next year with a new team. Um, that said, yeah, he's probably worth taking a late round flyer on just to see if he can put it all together. Um, those late round picks are so interchangeable anyway. Yeah, You're not going to end up with, you know, probably 40 to 50% of your team that you draft anyway, in most cases, if you're keeping up with it and trying to win. You will, if you take this manual, baby, our manual, yeah. you, you end up at a hundred percent winning the league. Okay. <laughs> that's that's always the goal right there no the funny <laughs> thing about our man so um you know we we do a pretty decent job i think relative to the comp- competition and you get a lot of the same stuff um in the man you get kind of like a brief write-up you get the stats their age you know so if you're in a dynasty league it helps a little bit uh eric and i are actually in the same keeper league 
And uh, we're, in, we're in different positions because I just took over a team, and it's bad. Uh, the team is bad. Um, there are some decent players, but they're all getting older. So I've been selling all off season in this keeper league, and we only keep seven year to year. Um, and um, and I've been trying to go young. So I'm looking through and flipping through the Almanac, just finding all the young people and doing it because I want to go young and try to get get myself to a point where next year I have a nice, strong crop of young good talent um, for my seven keepers. But, you know, I know that you and I are going to be fighting and maybe one other person in the league are going to be fighting for some of these young studs. But, uh, you know, I look over the Orioles and I just don't see see anything worth being excited about. No, there really isn't. The only other guy that might be worth taking a look at in a, in a late round flyer is Alex Cobb. Um, he was awful to start the year last year, but I think a lot of that had to do with not getting a solid um, full spring training, coming in late. I think there were some injuries in there. But he looked a little bit better at the end of the year, and he's a really good pitcher. So I'd say he might be a worthwhile late round flyer for somebody looking, you know, if, if especially in some of the deeper leagues, if you're looking to right. kind of catch lightning in a bottle at the end there. Yeah, 31 years old, five and 15 last year, 4.9 ERA, but closing the year strong. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for, you know, a shot in the arm for your fantasy team, maybe Baltimore isn't the one. There's very limited options. But let's move it on. We're moving alphabetically, so we're on to a bright spot for fantasy circles. So Boston, um, there's really not a lot of places you can go wrong in this lineup. <laughs> I mean, there's just talent everywhere. Um, you know, everybody knows about, um, you know, the the big guys like. Um, um, bets, you got, um, you know, you got the pitchers, you got, uh, sale. I mean, there's, I like David Price. People are a little bit, you know, down on him cause he had a, you know, kind of a slower year, but he, he was awesome in the postseason. I may be a little bit higher on him than some other people. Uh, let me look else. Um, uh, gosh, everything. They have everything. So, so Eric, you know, outside of, of Mookie, obviously, right. JD Martinez is another great one. Um, you know, who do you really like? Maybe who's somebody that, you know, that maybe outside of the top five rounds might slip and could be a sneaky guy. Um, I think, um, you know, Benintendi could kind of fall in that range a little bit, depending on, you know, who's in your league. Um, and Xander Bogarts is a guy who yeah. really kind of slides under the radar. Um, you know, you look back at his numbers from last year and it just completely surprised me. Um, looking back to see how good he really was, because you don't put him up there with Lindor and, you know, Seager when he was healthy or, um, you know, any of those the big shortstops that are coming up. Yeah, I'm looking you don't through. Really, you yeah, don't he, really put him there. And, yeah, I was going to say know. his numbers. So 72 runs, 148 hits, 45 doubles, 23 home runs, 103 RBI. I mean, that's that's quite a lineup. That's kind of a, a stat line um, for you to get. And it's, somebody that is under the radar, like you said. He really is. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy where you – He's only going to go early if you have a Boston fan in your in your uh, league <laughs> right, there. Right. Um, otherwise, you can. He's not going to get kept in most leagues. He's going to be out there. Um, so if you're looking for a shortstop, you know he, he's definitely someone to keep an eye on in the middle rounds because he's just going to slide because he doesn't really jump out. Mainly because there's so many other guys on that team that are first to mind: J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi, um, Chris Sale, even David Price is going to jump out a little bit. You know, all those guys. Jeez, what a lineup. Climb up yeah, it's 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 scary. The only place they don't have offensive an offensive force would be behind the plate, and maybe at second base because Pedroia is gonna you know. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about him. So I mean, he's getting older, right? Uh, he's not he's not the um, the Pedroia that he used to be. What what do you think about him this year? Could he string something together, or or are you more concerned about his health? Um, not so much even the health, although he does play really hard, and as you get older, that that that's you know kind of tough to to account for. Um. 
I think he's kind of going the same way that Ian Kinsler would, you know, went the last couple of years and he's just, he'll be productive. Um, he's not really going to be a guy you want to draft for your second base position. Um, just because, you know, he's, he's not that starting caliber guy anymore for fantasy purposes. Um, he'll still play solid D form. He'll still, you know, be productive enough, but as a fantasy purpose, short of adding him when you have an injury or if he does, you know, kind of get hot and you need to fill a spot somewhere, you know, that would be where, but not in the draft for me, at least in my opinion, this is like, this is close to, I'm just looking through kind of the stat lines for all these guys. Um, Bradley jr. You have 76 runs, 111 hits, 33 doubles, 13 home runs. And, you know, I, I kind of like to add the, um, the, the doubles and the home runs together. It's kind of a quick way for me to, to, to quickly view power. I, I like to do that rather than slugging. And, um, you know, all these guys are like over 50 if you, if you combine everything. And then you get up to like Betts and you get J.D. Martinez and you're up to like uh, 70 and 80. It's just, it's crazy. It's like, mm-hmm. a, it's like, a, it's like a video game lineup. It's nuts. Um, looking at the uh, the pitchers, so somebody I was kind of researching a little bit uh, was Uvalde. I, 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 don't, I don't think I'm as high on him in our league because we only have an eight-team league. Um, but somebody I was interested in was uh, Rick Porcello, or maybe it's Porcello. I'm not sure if it's the uh, the Italian C there. But uh, what do you think about him specifically? He, t- you know, he always seems to, you know, for a long time he was just kind of a good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Not even bad year, but really good year, okay year, really good year, okay year. Um, he's kind of stabilized a little bit the last couple of years in Boston. He's not going to come up and, and put up an ERA in the threes anymore, I, I don't imagine. Um, but he's going to be a solid guy. He's someone you could pick up and you could pencil him in to stay healthy, to you know, to rack up a decent strikeout total for you, um, and, and to help your team. He's not going to he's not going to kill you. He's a good back back of the rotation guy that you can get in most dra- most drafts late in the game. Um, so he's not going to be an ace, but he's not going to be that guy that you really have to worry about. Do I need to drop him to find yeah. someone else to really help my team? So he's in, and you, you have to have a few of those guys in your lineup. You're not going to end up with, you know, Chris Sale, uh, Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander all on one team. <laughs> You're welcome for well, that, by the way. One of the one of the things <laughs> for the listeners out there. Um, so when I inherited this team, I had uh, Verlander and Blackman were probably two my two best players. But like I said, I have a really bad team. So these old these older gentlemen that uh, that still produce quite well, they're really of no use to me um, if I'm trying to rebuild for dynasty league. So I did trade. Basically, I traded Verlander for uh, three up and coming kind of tier two level pitchers. Um, and then flipped one of them, and I'm just trying to get younger. So, it, yeah, Eric has an insane team. There's another guy, another guy by the name of Matt, who has also an insane team, which is a funny little story because I tried to trade Verlander to Matt first, and then he rejected my trade immediately, and so I traded him to Eric, and then he got all pissy because I traded Verlander to Eric and fortified <laughs> his team. So that's what you get though when you when you when you reject a trade, and you know you get a little uh, cocky about the way you reject the trade and saying, you know, that he's not worth my roster. You know, you can always trade him to, uh, to that person's competitor. What was funny too, Eric, is I, I told him in the, because, you know, because you can write a note to them too in the trade. Mm-hmm. I said something like, hey, look, you know, Verlander, I don't have much, but I do have Verlander. I'm trying to get volume. I'm not trying to get like equal value for Verlander. I'm trying to get volume so that I can fix my keeper situation. And, um, and you know, so basically saying, look, I'm, I'm looking for pennies on the dollar here. Let me know what you think. And he, you know, of course, rejected it with no comment. And, um, and I also said, hey, I know that you and Eric have the best teams, so I will be offering him up to Eric. <laughs> and, uh, 
And, you know, certainly, you know, of course, he, he rejected. I traded him to you the next day, and the rest is history. He got some, he got some feisty emails coming in, or uh, text messages, <laughs> as it was. Uh, one, yeah. more, one more from Boston here. Um, looking at uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, also very interesting. What, what, what appeals to him for me, because I'm a rebuilding team, is he's 26 years old. He's up and coming. I guess he's had some, uh, some injury issues here and there. Hasn't pitched a ton, but he is on Boston. He was 13-5 and five last year, ERA in the threes, uh, 10.1 strikeouts per nine. Lots of like there, right? There is. Um, and I'll tell you and the listeners on a different level than, than I would take it personally. Um, he's a good young pitcher. He does have a little trouble staying healthy at times, it seems. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to like there. Me personally, he's falling into the fool me once, fool me <laughs> twice. Because sure. I've gone after him hard the last two years, drafted him, and injuries and effectiveness early. And then as soon as I drop him, then someone else picks him up. He pitches a little bit better. So I'm kind of just he, he I had the same problem with Hayward years ago. And so he kind of falls into that boat for me where I probably won't be picking him up for my team uh, unless he's just sitting there and he's all of a sudden going off. But again, he'll probably just falter then and get hurt. Yeah. Sure. So for his <laughs> sake and, and everyone else's, I'll probably stay clear on my end. That said, yeah, he's a good young pitcher. He's he's definitely worth a look in deeper leagues. Um you know, again, those late round picks, you'll hear me say it. They're they're so interchangeable. You're going to draft them. You're going to drop them and pick someone up that takes off and has a great first start to the year and hope that, that you know, you catch lightning in a bottle there. So those late this, the last couple rounds take a few chances. Can't hurt. You know, Byron Buxton, take a chance. Eduardo Rodriguez, take that shot. You know, worst case, he has a couple bad outings, drop him. Yeah, and for yeah. You know, people in my position, too, that inherit or maybe they found themselves in a bad situation, you have to take some flyers on some of these young guys, too. And I like just tactically speaking, uh, you know, draft tactics, taking a young pitcher who's shown that he can string things together on a team with that kind of lineup behind him. You know, you're going to get some cheap wins there. I mean, he, he might give up eight runs and win, you know, and the, and the team wins like 12 to eight or something like that. I mean, you're going to get those types of games. So the, you get a bit of leeway there, which is I like that. Um, but, you know, point definitely well taken. So let's move it on to the Yankees, the other, uh, you know, kind of candidate to win this division. And I believe they were your pick um, when we kind of did a, a way too early type season preview. Uh, but uh, another lineup that's very good. I don't think that the hitters are quite as good as uh, as Boston, but I would say the top line are as, as dangerous as anybody. Uh, you have uh, Sanchez back. You have uh, Luke Voigt, uh, Glaber Torres, Tulowitzki's now going to be there. Um, very likely to be starting unless you know Machado for some reason ends up in New York, which I don't think is going to happen. But you never know. Of course, you have Stanton, you have Judge. So let me uh, let me ask you again. So you have Stanton and Judge; those are the big names. Who do you like from this uh, from this lineup that might be a little bit under the radar? Um, tough to say a lot of these guys are under the radar. And actually to your point earlier, if they do sign, uh, Machado word is that he, w- which again, it, it, it really is just in his court. If he just wants to sign there and we'll take less, but he would end up at third and Jahar would slide over to first, um, which would make things interesting as well. But Anjahar seems to be a little bit under the radar. Voight looked really strong, um, coming out. So as long as he gets a shot, he might be worth a late round flyer again, just to see what happens there. Um, couple of guys there, you know, uh, I'm hesitant with Gary Sanchez personally. There's a lot of home runs, but there's a lot of strikeouts and he just hasn't quite put it together enough for me to, you know, really invest in him. That said, catching is so thin, he might be worthwhile late in the game. Yeah, sure. And uh, I'm looking at their rotation. So the rotation is and, and I know their bullpen is stacked, but let's just look at the rotation here. 
Um, you have Paxton, you have uh, Severino, you have Tanaka, you have Hap, you have uh, Sabathia still. And I think I might even be missing one off the top of my head there. I, I can't remember. But they have a very strong rotation as well. A lot to like um, from just, again, you know, getting that lineup support behind you. You're going to get runs. And then not only that, but they might have the best, and they probably do have the best bullpen in the league. So, you know, you have that lineup behind you, but then you have the, that strong bullpen. You don't have to take a lot of innings early in the season. Um, you're going to get a lot of wins where you're just pitching six to seven innings a game. Uh, but, you know, any thoughts on the bullpen, buddy? Uh, bullpen is is uh, it's terrifying. I actually started calling it Hydra. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it, it, it pains me on so many levels growing up with with a family that were all Yankee fans and I and I defected away. So to, to give them the credit that I'm doing, it, it shows a lot of growth on my end, I'll say. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, it is. It's a scary back end with Chapman, Batanza, Sotovino, Britton. Um, that said, I think it hurts their value for each of them uh, from a fantasy perspective. Sure. Um, Batances, Ottavino, and Britain are not going to get the save chances they would have had they been closers. Um, and likewise for Chapman, his chances will probably drop a little bit because they could rest him and not feel like they're, you know, giving anything up by throwing one of those other, you know, dangerous guys out there in the ninth inning for him. So yet yeah, Chapman's still going to be one of the top guys in the league. He's still going to get his shots, but it might be down slightly to where if you're debating between Kimbrell Jansen, you know, and Chapman, he might drop to the, you know, to number three of that list. Right. Just because the other guys will get more opportunities, um, you know, based on, on what's behind them. So what's the latest on Kimbrell? Have you heard anything, Kim- any rumors? The only thing I keep hearing is that, the Braves are lying in the weeds waiting um, for his price to drop. You know, they're just kind of waiting to see if he'll drop down enough and take a two or three year, you know, deal just to get through the next uh, CBA. Um, You know, there's not a whole lot of talk elsewhere. I think a team that probably should be on him would be the Cardinals, just because I think you add him in the ninth inning with Andrew Miller setting up for him. It's just scary. Mm -hmm. Um, um, He would be really good for Atlanta as well, but, you know, there's not a lot of teams that just jump out. I think the Phillies are waiting. Um, if they miss on Harper and Machado, they're probably going to swoop in and try to throw some of that stupid money, um, <laughs> you know, at guys like at Kimbrell and, and Kuchel. Yeah. So he's kind of waiting it out. And I think a lot of this, it really is, it's just, uh, and we talked about this the other day, the, the Boris effect. Basically, it's just Harper and Machado holding this whole thing up. Now, I know Machado is not a Boris client, but. You right. know, holds the same. They're yeah, he's up waiting on. He's waiting on Harper. Harper's waiting on Machado, and it's a logjam behind them because they're trying to set yep. the market. Yeah, exactly. And people that you know that are the fallback options, or just you know waiting it out because if somebody misses on those guys, well, they want to reallocate those funds to somebody. Well, now let me take a look at um, you know at Dallas Kuchel or take a look at Craig Kimbrell or any of those other guys that are out there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just holding it up, and and there's no end in sight right now from the looks of it. All right, let's move it on to the Rays, who were a pretty surprisingly good team last year. Um, they have very strong pitching, so let's just start with the pitching. Um, Snell is obviously very good. Um, you know, in our league, I'm sure he'll be kept. I would love to draft him um, with that first draft pick, but I don't think I'm going to even have that opportunity, and nor should I. Uh, but you know, they added Morton uh, in free agency. Uh, they have uh, Glasnow, uh, Feria. So, what do you think about the bullpen behind Snell? Um, it's a, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a, um, not the bullpen. Solid... I'm sorry. The starters, my bad. We can go to that too. Yeah. Um, last no, 
he's a guy who just kind of keep your eye on. Um, definitely don't put a draft pick into him because no one's going to, and he's going to be waiting there for you. If he has a good start to the season, I guarantee you're going to have one pitcher who's not performing. You can drop and you can pick him up. Morton has been outstanding since he found his way to um, to Houston, and he should carry that over very well here in, in Tampa. See, that was so my concern I, because you, you have Houston, who's another one of those just really what puts it, uh, well put together teams, and then you go from like Houston to Tampa, who yeah, Tampa. I'm not saying Tampa's bad in any way, but that's what my concern was: is can he replicate his success? You know, being maybe a little bit higher in the rotation. Um, and then, you know, coming to a team that doesn't have such a strong offense behind him. You think it'll translate well over there? Um, fairly well. I think, you know, you're going to, it's hard exact. You can't really compare, um, apples to apples here because of the right. division. You go look who he's going against, you know, a little more in the AL East would be the Yankees and the Red Sox. He's going to see them more often. And there's not those type of powerhouses that, you know, that you have here over yeah. in the West, at least to that degree. Um, that said, he's a good pitcher. Um, I think you know. It, I think he'll. He's definitely worth a um, you know later round pick. Um, I wouldn't go rushing into it. In yeah, the I feel like he's a little overrated. I agree. Um, and you know, my my thought is, you know, I I bet you his ERA just by the the competition he's going to face in the AL East. I think his ERA is going to take a, a, a spike. He what he was fifteen and three last year. I would guess he's going to be more like you know. 12 and 7, which isn't bad by any means, but just by nature of his competition, I mean, it's 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 going to be harder. So that's my, you know, that's my big pause with him. Plus he's 35, so for me, it's a non-starter for me. I'm not going to draft him unless he drops way too far. Um and I know he'll be gobbled up by somebody before then anyway. I mean, yeah, and but the thing to look at also if you, if you want to take ERA into account, which again isn't the end all be all, but you look at him since 2004, he's actually dropped by almost a half run or more every single year in his ERA. Hmm. He's figuring it out as that wily veteran. He's he's figuring out more and more each year. So I wouldn't put it past him. I don't think he's going to put up a, you know, a low th- a super low 3 ERA again just because of where he is, but something in the mid 3s I think is very plausible for him. Um he continues to to rack up the strikeouts. He had over 200 last year. So he he's definitely an underrated guy. Um that and I'll take a look at him if he's waiting there for me. Um, you know, absolutely. For you, you're looking to go younger. You know, maybe if you can slide into the playoffs. But you know, he's a guy for for you know for a team that look wants to compete and really wants to win this year. You know, he's definitely someone to take a look at. That that'll be around later in the draft in most cases. Sure, and I'm looking at their lineup, and their lineup actually concerns me. Like, I'm not seeing anybody just from a stat line that jumps off the paper. The one, I guess, that intrigues me the most is maybe Yandy Diaz at first base, but what do you think about him and maybe the rest of the team? Am I missing out on anybody? Uh, Is anybody under the radar for me? You know, I mean, I was looking that over as well, and from a draft perspective, there's there's not, you know, there's not a ton of guys that I say, oh, go get this guy. Um, You know, you're not going to go draft on a Matt Duffy or even Willie Adams. Um, Wendell... Joey Wendell at second base could be an interesting breakout candidate. He had a good year last year. Um, Tommy Pham is the one that jumps out to me. I've always liked what he what he brings to the table. Um, I think, you know, he he showed a lot when he came over late in the year, and I think getting a regular chance to be the everyday guy, he could put together a nice breakout campaign. So he'd be somebody I would look at, you know, as an under the radar type guy that you could probably grab without a whole lot of competition. Um, Austin Meadows. Another good, young, well-rated uh, guy they got from the Pirates. Um, 
not necessarily worthy of a draft pick at this point. Uh, and I say that knowing that a lot of these standard ESPN leagues have five outfielders, which drives me nuts. Um, <laughs> but even then, you know, he's someone, again, more of a keep an eye on him, see if he puts it together type of guy. Yeah, and I'm reading through. So Fam is 102 runs, 136 hits, um, 18 doubles, 21 home runs, so pretty good. And then Wendell was uh, 62 runs, 146 hits, 33 doubles, which is nice, seven home runs. So maybe uh, you know if he can convert some of those doubles into home runs, it'd be even better. But that's uh, this nice power alley swing there. Uh, let's see, what do we have here? So we have the Blue Jays, who I've scrolled past. So why don't you just go ahead and take the lead on the Blue Jays here? They're a young team. They're getting younger. Um, as a young team goes, their their starters might suffer in terms of wins, especially uh, with the competition they have. But outside, well, I tell you what, why don't you just start with Vlad? <laughs> Vlad, um, he's one of the few prospects I would say draft him and kind of sit him and just deal with being a man short on your on your lineup. Um, he's going to be that good. He's going to come up uh, probably probably late late April once they, they pass that, you know, that cutoff for super two and to get that extra control. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that he's going to be a star right from the go get go. He might hit a little bit of a, you know, um, struggle here and there just adjusting. But for the most part, I think he's going to come up and he's going to hit right away. Um, so yeah, draft him and just kind of stash him. Um, no doubt about that. Brandon jury is an interesting case to me, but, until I can see him stay healthy, you know, and put it together, I, I would hold off on drafting him. There's not a lot of guys that I really look at and say, ooh, I got to have him on my team. Gritchick is one that I might think about, stat, you know, adding to a deep outfield. Because, um, he, he, you know, he put it together in the second half last year and looked kind of more like the guy that they all ex- that we expected back when he was in St. Louis. Smoke will always hit you some home runs and be a decent piece. Um, but offensively, there's not a ton. You can't put a lot of stock into Devin Travis. Um he just never seems to stay healthy. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, we're waiting on basically they have what? They have Bo Bichette, they have uh Biggio's kid is is in that farm system as well, right? I think they're just kind of waiting for some of these younger guys, these younger bats to get in the lineup because I mean, nothing nothing s- speaks to me and of course, you know, everybody knows like I've been saying I'm I'm focusing a little bit more on the keeper selection, which, you know, that mm-hmm. certainly doesn't speak to me outside of Vlad obviously, right? But um Right. And maybe some of the young guys they have coming up, I'll pay attention to the farm. But if I was in your spot, spot Eric, where I have a kind of a, a veteran team, or maybe if I was in a one-year league and I'm looking at it, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot to get excited about in the earlier mid-rounds here. Um, let's move it to the pitchers. So the starters, we have uh, Marcus Stroman, who I think is a little interesting. Um, you have Aaron Sanchez, uh, Matt Schumacher, who I'm not really really inclined to draft at all. Uh, yeah. But you know, what, what do you think about uh, just the top two there, Sanchez, Stroman? Um, again, those are guys that are just, you know, they're big question marks. They've had the success, but it hasn't happened lately. Um, you know, Stroman was outstanding in 2017 and just imploded. And again, he's another one that you look at his numbers really good in 2015 and the limited time he had average in 2016, really good in 2017, horrible last year. You know, you wonder if and when he's going to put it all together um, and do it, you know, uh, and keep it sustained. So he's a guy again because he's had that success, and you know it's there. Take a shot at him in the late rounds. Um, can't hurt. Um, Sanchez is kind of the same way. Had just a really bad year last year, um, but he's been good and consistent prior to that. So again, a late round pick can't hurt. 
as long as those blister problems are under control for him. So again, they're interesting. Um, I'm, I'm really surprised Stroman didn't get traded, but then again, they're probably hoping he can put together for a good first half and trade him in the second half as well. And really add to that, you know, farm stash. Yep. So I, I know we're going to be rehashing stuff. So I'm just looking at it from the, uh, from the Vegas and the futures perspectives. Um, so the odds on favorites right now to win the division, according to the odds makers, and some of the odds, by the way, are, aren't out yet. So this isn't, this is by far or by no means a pure consensus. But for the lines I was able to draw, these are consensus picks. And so the Yankees are currently favored to win the division, uh, followed by the Red Sox. Um, Tampa Bay would be uh, third on the list, uh, Toronto's fourth, and then uh, the Orioles are a distant, 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 distant fifth. Um, and then in terms of the American League, so the Yankees, uh, I believe it's actually, even though the Red Sox aren't favored in the, in the division, uh, the Red Sox are favored in the American League to come out and get the pennant, which is which I thought was interesting, um, but I think it makes sense. So you have the Red Sox, then you have uh, Houston, then the Yankees, and then I think... T- I think Tampa Bay might be fifth or sixth. I think they're behind Cleveland and behind Oakland in terms of the odds. But getting back to the AA, um, the American League East specifically, um, Eric, are you sticking with uh, with New York right now to win the division? Uh, yeah, right now I am. Um, you know, Boston, the one question I have with them right now is that bullpen. Um, they seem to like what they have. They're holding the line and not spending a lot of money there for some bizarre reason. Um, but... The Yankees are they're a solid team. We've seen that they can score runs. Their big issue last year was the rotation and they fixed that. Um and they're built for October with that bullpen. Yeah, I I don't I mean I agree with everything that you said. So, um it, it, it's the bullpen. Uh and they have so many options when they get to the postseason and it's all about the postseason. Plus they're a little bit hungrier uh because these aren't the Yankees of old. The Boston Red Sox have just won a World Series. So, you know, I think they'll be a little bit more complacent. They're they not to say that they remind me, but you remember how the Cubs kind of came back and they had that hangover after they won the World Series and they weren't really hitting, they weren't really and they, they it felt like they were just kind of waiting to get to the playoffs to try to rev it up and it didn't really work out for them. And I I think that the Red Sox will be in the same boat. Um but I do not see them winning the division. And, uh, and by the way, I don't see them making uh, the World Series as it stands either because that Yankees bullpen is just so sick right now. Yeah, I, I completely am with you on that one. Um, I mean, they'll definitely be in the postseason. They'll definitely, you know, fight their way through. I think they're going to end up with a wild card spot. And it, it would be interesting because I, I do think the Yankees will end up with that best record. And the Red Sox will probably have the second or third best record. So they're going to be kind of squaring off in that first round of the playoffs, which... Should make for uh, for some good games there. Yeah, maybe some complaining from other people outside the game, you know, from the media. Yeah. Like, are these two teams replacing each other in the first round? Oh, Eric's getting a call. Um, <laughs> no, so, I, you know, actually on that note, uh, I think you can pick up that line, Eric. I think we can end the podcast there uh, next week. I don't know if we'll switch to the AL. No, I don't want to do AL Central because I want to wait for Machado <laughs> and, and if he's potentially going to the White Sox. Maybe we can go to... Um, and I don't want to do the uh, I don't want to do the National League East because I want to wait out the Phillies. So maybe we can go to like the NL Central or maybe the West instead of doing just a clean East East Central Central West West. We might jump around a little bit, but let's tr- maybe do National League West. I think that'd be a that could work definitely. That'd be an interesting that's, that's an interesting one to dive into. So a lot okay. of good stuff in there. All right. So then uh, on that note, Eric, you pick up that line. I think uh, somebody's <laughs> having having a huge huge emergency right now. 
big uh, big emergency yeah. with your, your quality up. insurance, right? Gotta, gotta <laughs> set up that play date for the for the sun tonight. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. All right, well, uh, everybody, uh, go out. Um, you know, if you're looking for futures bets, we love the Yankees um, not only for uh, for the American League East, but also for the American League pennant. Uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves with the uh, the official picks here. So, thanks everybody. Go occupy.